Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. And we have a very fun episode ahead for you today. First of all, we're going to catch up because Becca and I haven't seen each other in like two weeks, I want to say. Yeah, it's been it's been a while. And we saved it because I just walked in here, realized I forgot my headphones and left. Again. Yeah. So we haven't even we often will catch up in real life and then we'll catch up on the pod. This is all new. So Grace, yeah. what have you been doing? Who are you? Oh, well, so are we doing highs and lows or are we just talking? I don't know. Um, well, I've been on Cape Cod for the past week with my family, which was so nice. Um it was a lot. There was 10 of us in one house together, which was really fun. It was just like so nice to be together. It was my parents, me, my sister Meredith and her husband and their two boys, Jack and Will, and then my sister Becca and her husband Steve and their daughter Zoe. It was so much Zoe bonding time. She's So my niece is nine months old and she's just like this little munchkin and she like is just learning to crawl and she's so much fun and I felt like getting to hang out with her every day now she like knows who I am and her face lights up when she sees me and it's like the best feeling ever Um, and then my two little nephews are like total little men they're three and one and they're running around like maniacs so that was really fun Um, but I will say that three kids and all of that was it was exhausting like I woke up Every day at 8, which I don't wake up at 8 on vacation ever. And I was the last person up. And everyone had been up since 6. And it was like, oh, like nice of you to get up. I was like, guys, 8 is like my earliest that I do. So it was just like, it was a lot. We ate dinner at 5 p.m. every night. Oh, wow. You got a taste of parenthood. Yeah. So I was kind of the oddball out. And I by like the seventh day, I felt like I was like – strange and weird because I didn't have kids, whereas my life here is like kids would be strange and weird. So it was just like it was like a new normal. You for freaky those. Friday. Yeah. It was it was it was strange, but it was great. Um prior to that, I've had some drama with Tyrion. He little poor little guy has an ulcer on his eye. So I didn't even know you can get an ulcer on your eye. I know. I think it's like a fancier word for a scratch on his eye. Like he scratched himself and he got this. It was taking over like the majority of his right eye and it was terrible. Eye stuff is my personal hell. Oh, well, he was super sad. I'm not going to get into all the gory details, but I just came from the vet and he has to go back again next week. But um, he the ulcer is like I'd say it's like 70 percent healed. So that's pretty good. Um, And he now has like this like milky layer over it, which I thought was worse. But I guess it's part of the healing process. Her poor boy. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was that's kind of like the gist of what's been going on with me. Are those your highs and lows or Uh, is there other stuff? Well, my high was definitely Cape Cod. My other part of my highs was um, I got to see the Rolling Stones live. Um, before I left. I've never seen them. You guys might know this. You might not. My taste in music is that of my father, who is a man in his late 60s. So, like, I love classic rock. Like, so getting to see the Stones live was amazing. It was, like, one of my bucket list items. Yeah. So that was my high. Okay. Yeah. And I'll tell you my low after. But, like, tell me your high. You've been gone for so long. I've been gone for so long. I was gone for a week and a half. So I was in Vegas for a bachelorette party, and then I had to be in uh, Napa last weekend for a wedding, so it didn't really make sense for me to come home in between, so I stayed in San Francisco for the week, or outside of San Francisco. So I have just been all over the place. I haven't been home 
That cat? In a while. Is that cat your high? Because she was with the cutest cat. I was with uh, four different cats. I'm so jealous. I'm cat slutty. I've just been with one sick cat. Uh, no, that was not my high. Um, but I got to see so many of my friends. I got to see all of my college girlfriends in Vegas. And we stayed a little too long. I think two days in Vegas is the max. And we were there for three. And by the end, I was like, I think my body is shutting down. I just didn't sleep and I drank so much and pretended that I was 21 again. Yeah. But it was very fun. Do you like to gamble? Yes, I do. Me too. I really like to gamble. Play a lot of craps. Played blackjack. I love blackjack, which nobody can believe, but I'm actually quite good at. I'm not good at it, but I did do okay. I gave myself – I don't – I'm not a good gambler. So when I gamble, I give myself – like an allotment and it's to have fun with so i like to play craps because i think craps is the most fun way to lose your money and Mm -hmm. it takes a while yeah so i i lost two hundred dollars but like that was fine yeah yeah that was what i felt okay losing i think that's a reasonable amount like when i went to i I usually do like the last time i gambled i I think it was like a hundred dollars but I once turned $100 into $500 playing blackjack, and I bought myself an Hermes bracelet. I was in Ooh. Barcelona with my old boyfriend. Um, yeah, so I was in Vegas. It was fun. Then I went to San Francisco, and I used to live there, if you're new to the podcast. So I stayed with my friend Ashley, who's one of my college friends. She lives in Walnut Creek. And then Ashley has the beautiful cat. She's two cats. Yes. And then I went up to wine country. This wedding was in Bodega Bay. And I got to see all my San Francisco girlfriends who only the bride still lives there. So I got to see all my different friend groups. It was very fun. The wedding was beautiful. It It looked beautiful. And you rocked the hell out of that mustard yellow dress. Thank you. Yeah. And Rachel in the brick red. So Becca's friend Rachel, who has flame red hair, was assigned brick red. And I was nervous for her. But that jumpsuit was amazing. She was the lady in red. Mm -hmm. So yeah. You guys can see this on Becca's Instagram. It was like good trip that's great yeah yeah ask me about my low what about lows oh no um so last night i came home from 12 days away and i got home at about 11 30 at night and i came home and found three dead cockroaches in my apartment oh my god so if you've been listening a while grace had this problem before we live in the same building and now they've apparently traveled upstairs it's like the sisterhood of the traveling cockroaches I think it's because they sprayed our other friend's apartment, and this is what happens. They all come out of the walls after they spray, and then they die. Ugh. But I'd rather they all just, like, die, and then we have to clean up the bodies, but... I guess so, but it gives me the heebie-jeebies. I could not fall asleep last night. It's awful. Ugh. Oof. So that's my low. Yeah. Not a great welcome back. No. No. And I'm just exhausted. I'm... Just like it's Tuesday, the day before this drops, and I am just getting through to Saturday. Yeah. And I have no plans this weekend. I do not want to see you. Great. Or anyone. I have, I'm have. i going to day drink with my friend John. Enjoy. Yes. And see Zoe because I have to keep up the momentum now Enjoy. that she knows me. So wait, what was your, your low? Okay. If not Tyrion's eye. So Tyrion's eye was like a pretty big low. But um, it was like... I, I guess there's a residual effect. Everyone blames when Mercury goes into retrograde for, like, their lives going to hell. The day it went out of retrograde, my life went to hell. I got stuck. Do you believe in that? 
Not really, no. Me either. I think it's just like an excuse. Yeah. Because it's just like something to blame it on. Like it's not in retrograde now and my life feels like it's falling apart. It's just my resting state. Okay. I just wanted to know if you believed it. No, I don't. Okay. But I got stuck under the East River for a full hour on the subway. It was so terrifying. Someone was like, I smell gas. Like, and it was a train. The L train was on um, autopilot. So there was no conductor there to like help us. Oh, so they didn't even make announcements. No. So they had to send us a crew. Then they had a remote voice who wasn't our conductor from like above giving us announcements. And they were just playing the same announcement over and over again. Being like, we're sending someone down to like find out what's wrong with your subway. Like that was, um, and that was right before the Rolling Stones. So we were all supposed to leave, I think at like, I want to say six or 6.30. I was a full hour late. My friends waited for me, but like, what were, what was going through their heads? They were like, we thought maybe you got like hit by a car or like we're in the hospital. Like we oh didn't know what. God. Yeah. Cause I'm never an hour late, especially when we had to and drive. And you have no phone service. No phone service. under the river. And had to drive to New Jersey to this concert. So it was, um, that was special. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been stuck under the river. I've been stuck on this on the subway plenty of times, but under the river there's like a I don't know, it's like an extra element of scary to me. Yeah. Yeah. That so seems that, like a like a movie where the rock would come save you. Yeah. Or Will Smith. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah, either. Yeah, wearing like aviator sunglasses even though it's underground. This is related to nothing, but yesterday while I was on my flight, the guy next to me was watching Independence Day on the plane. Ooh, that's kind of a fun plane movie. It is a fun plane movie. And I was like, really jealous. And I was like, I haven't seen Independence Day in a long time. Um, And I was watching it over his shoulder. That's not creepy at all. It was fine. Is he cute? Um, No. Oh. But um, I was watching it over his shoulder. And then he um, he like paused it and fell asleep. And I was like, how do I know what how this ends? I mean, I know how it yeah. ends. But it was very unsatisfying. Maybe I need to watch Independence Day this week. Yeah, while well, you're introverting. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to introvert so hard this weekend. That's the best. So before we get into this interview, one more topic at hand. Yes. Last week, we announced our live show lineup for the fall, and I'm so excited. So excited. We are doing shows in San Francisco, D.C., Philly, Atlanta. Oh, I was going to let you say it. Oh, now I lost my turn. In Dallas? Yes, in, in Dallas. Dallas. And if you would like to get tickets, you can check out the dates and the cities on our website, badonpaperpodcast.com slash live. Please buy a ticket. Bring all your friends. It is a real fun girls night out. I have two audiences that I would like to address. Number one, I have seen so many people in the Facebook group being like, I don't know if I should come because I'm going to come alone. Come alone. We have a pretty friendly audience and I think it's a great place to make friends. So come alone if that's your jam. Totally come alone. Or the people who are like, my friends don't want to come with me because they don't listen to the podcast. They can still come. I it, The content isn't overly specific to the podcast. Your friends will have a great time. Introduce them to this. They can be in our book club. They can be friends of the pod. Absolutely. So I just wanted to answer those frequently asked questions yeah people always say that they make friends at our shows i love that and that they bring friends who don't listen and the friends that got dragged become listeners yeah so bring as jared Frito always says i always have to reference him bring the group text oh yeah bring your group text i want to meet your group text mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's going to be really fun. Um, and we're going to have amazing guests. We're not going to tell you who they're going to be yet, mostly because we don't know. So we're if you have suggestions in any of the cities that we're going to, get at us. Um, but we'll announce them closer too. But buy your tickets now. Yes, and they will be different. So if you've already seen us, I think this is mostly for DC because, yeah, but it'll be different a different show than last time. Maybe we'll wear disguises. Maybe we'll be different. Yeah, maybe we will. Maybe I'll dress like you and you can dress like me. Perfect. And I'll get a brown wig and you can wear a blonde, blonde wig. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> no, no one will come. This has gotten weird. It's gotten really weird. Buy tickets at badonpaperpodcast.com slash live. We're going to do this interview before this gets weirder. Yes. So excited about this one. Guys, we are so excited about today's guest. Lauren Duca is with us. So Lauren and I actually met at the Younger Premiere Party. That's when you guys might have might remember I got to meet Peter Herman. But we instantly bonded. I've been following her forever. You guys might remember Lauren taught me what gaslighting was back in the day, like in 2016, because she wrote an article about how the president is gaslighting America. So Lauren is a freelance journalist and political writer. You might remember her column, Thigh High Politics for Teen Vogue. Her article about um, Donald Trump went viral a few years back. That's how I found her and started following her. And she was somewhat of an overnight success. She was one of the first people to go viral on Twitter after the election. So Lauren has a new book coming out. It's called How to Start a Revolution. That's out this September. And Becca and I both pre-ordered it naturally. She brought us an advanced copy, and I cannot wait to read it. We're going to be fighting over that. Um, and we just love her commitment to activism and getting young people to care about politics. And did we mention that she has 430,000 followers <laughs> on Instagram? 430,000. Twitter, Twitter. Oh, sorry. Twitter. Twitter, not Instagram. <laughs> same thing. Not really, but same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so most – she also has a very interesting life. More recently, <laughs> she divorced her husband and came out as gay. So we have a lot to cover today. <laughs> there was also – there's nervous laughter. There was also a fun fact that I learned about you in researching this yeah. podcast or somebody DM'd us and told us that apparently a character in the bold type is based on you and I want to talk all about that. Oh, wow. You know, unconfirmed. Unconfirmed. Rumor. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get into it. Yes, we'll okay. get into it. But, okay. So we gave you our introduction, but I would love for you to tell us in your own words who you are and what you do. And maybe you can, like, walk us through how you got there. Like, college until now, the abridged version. Yeah. Well, the what, what I do most recently has been working on this book and speaking to young people about what it looks like to go through this awakening process of understanding agency and urgency of action and seeing that our political system is not something that can be passively navigated and that we have to have an active role in raising our voices and that that is incumbent upon us. That sort of shift in a moral urgency of action I've been studying for basically three years. So since the election to be specific, before the election, <laughs> I was writing about culture and 
I guess my work was political, but lowercase p, and in that it investigated hierarchy, hierarchies in the culture and understanding feminist theory through the lens of celebrities was especially a focus of mine at the time. Uh, I wanted to basically be like a pop culture anthropologist, as I would put it, and doing kind of long well-researched deep dives into looking at who who are we and <laughs> like, what does it all mean that very obviously was too <laughs> passive an approach after Donald Trump was elected for me and figuring out how to give people the tools needed to raise their voice and to organize um and to build to collective power um and figuring out what that looked like processing this moment where the impossible had happened everything changed so i was actually working on a piece about sleep like quite literally sleep as it had been turned into a product uh and like that was on one of my dream features also was a profile of mandy moore like tied to this is us and like i had done other things of that nature like that was what i was excited about could like those were my big dreams for the year ahead and then it was like record scratch freeze frame i don't care about any of that anymore. Like it does feels like this is the only thing I can care about. And I found so many young people who had a, that same shift, but not they, you know, I'm a writer. So I started researching and reporting, but they tapped in what they were good at using the things that they are passionate about. So it was like a girl who'd been the editor in chief of the school paper had covered the school board and saw it was basically only moms and wealthy businessmen for some reason and thought, surely a student should be on here ran for school board and won or like a lawyer who understood how corrosive voting rights have become and thought surely the democratic party will do something about this november 9th she decides starts her own nonprofit is now spreading the vote across the country and has registered hundreds of thousands of people to vote things like that were happening in the form of exceptional outliers but also at grand scale in the, in a way that I, we can talk about as a demographic shift of just actively people who weren't reading the news before then were reading and contacting officials and what that looks like and i think it's spreading so uh, i went through that awakening moment very much myself and it's like it's very interesting to think about what my life would be like in a hillary presidency because <laughs> it's it's extremely different um and my life has radically changed since i made that decision on the day after the election to write about politics. Wow. Um, it's like, I'm just like thinking about that. Like what if Hillary had one, what would our lives all be like? Wow. I would probably be like a yoga teacher. <laughs> I don't know. My skin would definitely be better. People definitely wouldn't care about or be so angry. That's right. Yeah. I would still be asleep. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about the after, but do you mind if we talk a little bit about the before and some of your mm -hmm. career before we get into that? Yeah. Okay. So, I told you we're both bold type fans. Okay. And a reader mentioned that Jane's character was modeled off of you. So like we went bananas. We were like texting. And we were like, is <laughs> this true? So, I mean, you said it's unconfirmed, but like, do, you, do you watch the show? Is that what your career? Like, I'm just assuming is that what your career was before? <laughs> no, no, not at fucking all. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that would just be really simple. It's like, okay, go watch the bull type now. You know what Lawrence before was? No, it's so You're odd. You're freezing your eggs and writing about it. <laughs> I have to admit that I have only limited interaction with the show, but I, and I, I just feel like there's this like candy coated kind of like CW brand 
portrait of magazine work and I've I've never actually experienced it in that form. I don't really know. Maybe like I guess the Condé Nast building mostly looks like that. It's just um I don't know. It's there's there's such a weird like days of old magazine culture thing that isn't that I have not did not directly experience. Like I did the internships and stuff and was like in a fashion closet for some reason like deli- which was not really my interest like delivering heavy garment bags around the city in 100 degree heat i had that experience um and then was writing mostly from home like in my underwear so <laughs> eating where it's next so you were like on the freelance yeah I side know, of things i never got it on the glamour is what i'm trying to say <laughs> unsuccessfully d- did not like navigate the dream never got that mandy well. moore profile never got no. that magazine glamour no <laughs> but hey it's working out it's working the out. trump there is a bright side to the trump presidency no. and it is your awakening oh i want to be clear things were going really well like i right. had a cute career going and i had all the bylines i was hoping for and actually did got to do a lot of profiles of celebrities and interview some really incredible yeah. people but like yeah it didn't look it doesn't look like the bull type <laughs> <laughs> but similar to jane on the bull type so you were someone who's who was as you said before doing all this pop culture stuff writing about celebrities writing about fashion and you successfully made that jump over to more serious topics i think that's something that probably resonates a lot with mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners especially anyone in the kind of creative field um how did that come about at work do you have any tips for someone who might be looking to do something similar yeah i think that there's a majorly made up divide between the things that we designate as serious and non-serious interests and the origin of my my entire career basically is comes down to the fact that the piece I wrote that went viral was published to Teen Vogue and Teen Vogue already had a history of integrating serious news, political news, just national items of need to know information right next to coverage of Kylie Jenner's very compelling Snapchat. And so it was not a weird decision to publish it there. It made perfect sense. Um, and it, but it gave birth to this conversation of what do young women care about? Do young women care about politics? And like, do young people at all care about politics slash why don't they? It's just such a bullshit question. And if there is, a, the reality is we've been alienated from it and anything that's perceived as apathy is actually just the fact that we're not invited to the table. And what that looks like is having stereotypes about feminized interests um, being non-political or less than serious. And when the article took off, I got a lot of praise that even had some stealthy condescension in it because it was there would be sort of, oh, wow, this was in Teen Vogue or even just directly asking why it wasn't written somewhere else as if like that placement was inferior. And that's infuriating. Um, and it wasn't until I went on Fox, <laughs> which we can talk, <laughs> We're about, talk about that, too, uh, that I will. So I'll save it. But it, but I, I guess I it wasn't. Well, it wasn't until I went on Fox until there was just such a clear, blatant, explicit divide of saying you're not invited to this political conversation because you've covered entertainment, because you've covered fashion. That's what stick to the thigh high boots means. It means go off and do those stupid girly things. And so I guess the advice would be ignore these made up rules about who gets to participate in the political conversation and how because it's all a bunch of nonsense the sort of uh, activities that are considered in keeping with 
proper political behavior include what? Golf? Like, why is that's my favorite thing? It's like, why, why, just like ponder for a moment golf. You know, what is golf exactly? Like, they're hitting around a little ball. Is that, that's, that's, that's the kind of sport that a man who talks about politics can do. But you, what about nail art? Nail art's disqualifying. And I just, <laughs> nail art's actually very intricate, difficult, you know, like yeah. objectively more difficult than golf. <laughs> so I would say, Uh, ask who makes the rules like and uh, and break them and like fucking break your own rules too sometimes we like cut ourselves off and we say oh no uh you know only certain types of people get to do this thing and i think a lot of the time we're just allowing for that to continue to be the case and i don't know say fuck it i love that (laughs) nail art is harder than golf that's gonna be the title of this episode not really (laughs) but um (laughs) it it does like journalistic fact. <laughs> I, I think there's such a good conversation around the like the whole thing. Like you can care about both. Like I remember the Fug Girls on Twitter had like a whole big thing about that, and that kind of I don't think it went as viral as your article, but I couldn't have related it to it more. You can care about clothes and makeup and celebrities mm-hmm. and pop culture, and you can also like care about the future of the country and like what the hell the president is doing right now. Totally. And the thing is that all of the things that we've been socialized to like are weaponized against us and to such an extreme degree. Like, I love your site because it is so intensely feminine. Like, it is just screaming the feminine in a way that I, like, love. It's, like, unbridled pure joy. Like, it's just a fucking feminine confetti burst. And I, but I love it. Like, I feel like I got, like, a rose water spray out of the computer at my face in a good way. Like, when I opened it up. And I love that because it's just, like, we think we have to make, we shouldn't be making apologies and curving and warping away from these the feminized like we should be able to have confidence and power in that packaging and not have to change what it looks like um here's an example i gave a talk at a college and i was i say like an um i get put on a vocal fry sometimes oh we get that too all the time performative all gender is performative i'm performing it too and sometimes that includes touching my hair this girl came up to me after and she said she's touching her own hair and she's saying like an um while she's talking to me and she said you know i was watching you talk and i thought wow like this woman is so unpolished why did they bring her here to speak and I'm watching her go through this realization of her own kind of internalized misogyny, like realizing those rules, those prejudices were in mm-hmm. her head and that they were about herself. It was wild. And it was just like the actual just mere fact of seeing me, uh, a, a rare young woman saying like an um and talking with her hands and touching her hair and having serious political opinions was revelatory. And it's just like the reality is that all of those things that's I I'm able to talk quicker and more expressively and prove my point with passion and use my voice fully when I do those things because I've been talking like that for my entire life and to try and cut those pieces out or and harness something in me to be fitting in a certain box and a certain presentation that is considered more respectable in many ways because it just imitates the average male newscaster's way of having a passionate opinion. I don't know. It gets in the way of me expressing my voice and I just don't accept that. And so I think that that's another part of it is like, do it as yourself. Like, don't don't run for president like Hillary Clinton. Like, don't fit yourself in the box of a man mm-hmm. when you have so there's so much power in the feminine. Like, I mean, just what what does that word even mean? But like we're talking about 
intensely high levels of communication and intuition and empathy and nurturing and those forces I think not to go all like Marion Williamson but like we could totally as a society be prioritizing the feminine more mm-hmm. like at a policy level that just means like funding for nursing over the military right but like the balance of the feminine and the masculine are completely out of whack so like spray me with rose water great <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because Becca always makes fun of me because I do have face mist and I will. Spray, I, <laughs> I will know you spray do. You. I, I will. will. The thing is, is that like if you're asking for an unsolicited spray here, yeah, I consent I- <laughs> to be sprayed with face mist at any time during the course of this podcast. Grace, go get one. You have a bunch spray over. Me. I do after we after we record. Okay, I might even give you your own face mist to take home. Oh. <laughs> Tell her what she's won. <laughs> Amazing. don't threaten her with a good time um, yeah so sorry i don't i'm not talking that much i know it's probably hard <laughs> well wait so we we kind of brought up tucker carlson we kind of and did. i want to talk about that incident in particular but then i also want to talk about kind of how you've dealt with criticism and it's like i love your perspective on not being bothered by kind of embracing saying like an um and saying I'm not going to change like so I guess first on the Tucker Carlson piece so if Mm -hmm. I'm correct he made some like pretty sexist jokes Mm -hmm. and he said he told you to stick to thigh high boots in reference to an Ariana Grande article Mm -hmm. um, which I mean and then it spurred the name for your teen vote column which is I love that you did that (laughs) Um, but I'm curious like did you have any media training before going on the show like how did you how did this situation feel like what happened afterwards? Like I wanna How did get you stay so it? composed? <laughs> I would yeah. have been a crying, sweaty mess. I mean very sweaty. No. <laughs> I'm sweaty right now. No. We sweaty turned thinking the, about it. <laughs> yeah, we turned the AC off because it makes noise and Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna get toasty. Yeah, I had no idea what I was doing or what I was getting myself into. Like, I mean, I kind of had like a loose understanding of what Fox was, but I, I, I thought that they were parading around at least the semblance Mm -hmm. of respectability, at least the pretense enough that I could go in and try to have a conversation about holding power accountable, which at the literal presidential level. So what happened was, Ivanka flew on JetBlue for some reason. Uh, this was the news peg for which I was invited on. Jet Ivanka was on a commercial flight, and some man on the flight, you may remember this, it was 84 years ago, but some man on the flight said, why is Ivanka on our flight? Which is basically just like what anyone would say in that setting. And <laughs> she, it was sort of this whole media firestorm about civility and like it was framed as if she was attacked. So I was asked on to talk about that incident. And I had been, because tw- I had been tweeting that we need to hold Ivanka accountable, that she is complicit in pr- providing cover for the most anti-woman candidate of our time. My total media experience before that was like I had been on one or two things about gaslighting, which were like friendly interviews. I mean, right. one was with Chelsea Handler and I just was like, mom. And it was amazing. If she if you're listening, Chelsea, like <laughs> I would totally be adopted by you at any time. So um, but that's oh, my God, I should manifest that. But I really do want it. So <laughs> anyway, uh, I think that no, I had no idea what I was doing. And I actually feel like this is a good a helpful 
a helpful takeaway from it is yeah. to know your shit. So I definitely didn't have any training for the emotional hazard <laughs> that I was about to walk into. But I think how I still stayed so calm and so grounded is that I knew the situation inside and out. I understood the disinformation coming from the White House and how to unpack what a threat it was to all of the American people, regardless of what fucking jersey they're wearing. And we can get into the political industrial complex later. I thought that that was a conversation that could be had. Like my dream viral headline from going on Fox News was rare rational conversation. I thought I could appeal to a sense of reason that it turned out to not exist. Then you were were 26 years (laughs) old when this happened. That's I think. Or 25? 25. 25, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I definitely was not mature enough to handle something like this. Wasn't expecting it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So he kept, uh, he expected me to stand for something that I didn't stand for. So he he was thinking I was going to come on and start defending Ivanka's harasser. Um, I had no interest in doing that. I thought that the the conversation about a plane, the plane was a bunch of noise and the whole thing about civility and how we treat the people who work in authoritarian regimes is bullshit. Like go and fuck with Sarah Huckabee Sanders when she's eating tacos for sure. But I was like, I know I shouldn't get into that on Fox News. And actually this whole story is a distraction for what is Ivanka's role going to be in the White House? I knew I, I knew my talking points and my position on what I had hoped to come to say. And I just refused to be kind of knocked off balance. And I think that that's what you can always do for yourself is prepare so that you have a foundation of information for any difficult conversation, like especially, especially with family members where things I think can get spicier. And it took me a whole journey to figure out how to do this with my family, but it's almost like, you can't be knocked off balance if you can if you conduct yourself like a journalist and you feel a sense of confidence that you have done your research. There's so much fear that we have that comes from ignorance. But if you go and you get your receipts and you you know the landscape of the issue and you know the relevant statistics and you've read multiple sources and really been a critical thinker, then you damn well better believe you have the right to speak your mind. <laughs> That's really great advice. So, I mean, that's a very specific situation on, obviously, on national TV when somebody who is, I don't know what we want to call them, but, you know, somebody who is, whose job is to um, antagonize guests and, and kind of people of the media. But, I mean, how do you think about dealing with criticism more generally? Like, I know mm-hmm. for us, like, Sometimes when we get like a bad review, it's very like it's very tough. And I I know Mm -hmm. some of the Twitter comments are like Twitter is a brutal place in general. But like, how (laughs) how have you thought about like I don't want to I don't know if it's developing a thick skin or like Mm -hmm. existing in in the face of this and saying fuck it. Yeah, like that's something I'm really curious about. Like I loved your anecdote about a girl coming up to you and you know saying you were saying like an oven I don't know that I would be like I think I would be like oh my god I just gave this great speech and here's this girl who's <laughs> who's here to tell me who's here to nitpick it uh-huh I 
I had to do a lot of work on my damn self, honestly. Um, I really didn't understand before just like that fundamental reality that validation has to come from within. Yeah. I, I did not get it. Like I had gotten all the postcards. I had like the, the mugs, you know, mm-hmm. like, I, just, I had heard it. Be nice to yourself. Love yourself, etc. It just was not it was not getting in. And uh, I really had to hit some pit of despair rock bottom type places losing myself in the noise and it comes in a lot of different flavors i sort of so it was a learned skill it wasn't it's not something that you were just like i got out of the gate and naturally i was like i think i'm Fuck resilient everyone. naturally yeah and have been through some shit previous okay so yeah yeah no high school was not a good time because that was practice <laughs> Uh, for sure, for sure. Would not go back there. Um, <laughs> would not recommend. Zero stars. Would bad Yelp review for Homedale High School. <laughs> Terrible Yelp review. <laughs> um, I'm with you right well, there. <laughs> um, I, but yeah, it was also a learning skill, and as, and it con- and it will continue to be. Like it, it, it's very scary to to lose your sense of self in agreements with attackers like and I think I really I had to bottom out in a couple different ways like it's been an evolving thing because like when it first so after Tucker I was hit with a swarm I mean death and rape threats I was being photoshopped into gas chambers with Tucker pushing the button like I don't even and it was fucking insane and I my my body just quit like we can have a whole conversation about the, the psychology techniques and the meditation techniques, but like this was just like, no, you're sick and you like are in bed now for five days and that's what's happening. And it was just from stress of harassment. And so I really had to make a decision after yeah. that. Like I really had to come back from that and be like, what, okay, what does like the Phoenix look like when it rises out of the fucking ashes? <laughs> like who am I and what do I care about and what matters? And I, I think I also saw it in terms of a, as a righteous cause in that regard, because it's like, yes, the Internet has changed everything and allowed this democracy of conversation and allows people to organize. And it's allowed for a lot of activism. But part of what's disrupting it is this corrosive force of harassment where it is squashing people's right to fourth assembly and their safety, their ability to gather um, literally with their safety in mind. Twitter's not taking it that seriously, et cetera, et cetera. Tech, lack of responsibility and ethics and all of that. But it just, what can I do level? I had to not shut up. And so I also had to be like, how does this become sustainable? Like, how do I learn to compartmentalize that? How do I learn to figure out who my beloved people are and my advice that I can trust me, trust for criticism when I need it? Because I also don't want to just go through numb to all criticism. Sure, and sure. It's a tough balance. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it was a, it's, it's still a work in progress, but I feel I'm on really solid ground now. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> we're going to take a quick sponsor break and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more. So Grace, this ad comes every month, just like our periods. What a segue, Becca. It is time to talk about Lola. And if you are a longtime listener and you still haven't switched, just like, what are you doing? Okay, so first of all, what is Lola? Lola is a woman's health brand that offers tampons, pads, and liners and is made with 100% organic cotton. So the company was founded after one of the founders, both of them are women, asked herself, what is in a tampon? And she realized that she couldn't figure out the answer. 
So it turns out that the FDA doesn't require tampon brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients in their feminine care products. So most of them don't. This is so crazy. I would never stand for it if a food or a beauty product just had a shrug emoji on the ingredient list. Why is it okay here? You're putting this in your body. So major brands use a mix of synthetic ingredients in their products, including rayon and polyester. Their feminine products may also be treated with harsh chemical cleansing agents, fragrance, and dyes. What's great about Lola is that their products are made with 100% organic cotton, and the ingredients are listed in big letters right on the box. So it's a monthly subscription because for better or for worse, I am also subscribed to my period. And you can customize your box so you can get exactly what you need. So if you want just lights and super pluses, yeah, like you can do that. If you want a weird mix of things, up to you. So you get exactly what you need exactly when you need it. And it comes right to your door. It is really convenient. And you can also change, skip, and cancel anytime. Mm -hmm. Why aren't you a subscriber if you've been listening to this podcast? I am a subscriber. Not you, them. This yes. is a no-brainer. Guys, come on. For 40% off all subscriptions, visit MyLola.com, enter code BOP at checkout. That's MyLola.com, enter code BOP, and that's 40% off all subscriptions. Get on it. Yeah. And we're back. <laughs> so we want to talk more about your book and activism and 2020 and a whole bunch of other things, mm -hmm. but... um. Along the lines of tougher things that have happened this year, you went through another big change. You divorced your husband. You came out as a gay woman. This is incredible. You <laughs> did this all at age 28? Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So can you talk about this that? This is my current age. Are yeah. you still on good terms with your husband? <laughs> Ex-husband. Ex-husband. That's right. Ex. Yeah. Actually, yeah. It's like the chillest divorce that ever was, honestly. Um, it does help that when one or more people <laughs> in the straight marriage are gay, like it does make the divorce process <laughs> a little easier, I guess. Um, it was, uh, I don't know, kind of an, a great thing. And it's weird because there's all these stigma there's all this stigma around what it means to be divorced and i don't know i was actually carrying around more of it than i realized uh, and once i let it go and understood that i need to have agency over my own life and <laughs> choose happiness and surviving it felt like i didn't really care what divorce it meant to other people because for me it meant like that bitch has lived um <laughs> my husband is a really uh I don't want to talk about him that much, actually. Don't we don't have to. That I should, but he's a really sweet, kind, loving person, and I we both like wish each other super well. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> that's really nice. Yeah. Um. So we don't need to dwell on your husband. We don't want to dwell on him. But okay. like, can you tell us a little bit more about your journey to coming out? Yes. So <laughs> I was raised. Roman Catholic authoritarian, which is like a very specific thing where you don't understand what sex is until <laughs> late in life. Um, and I got together with my husband when I was 20. Like we started dating when I was 20. Uh, and I guess I just, like it just was fucking really repressed. Is <laughs> sort of the best way to explain it. Um, I think I thought it was bi, but I just really didn't have uh, much understand. I didn't have any understanding of what 
love and sex really were and can be. Uh, and uh, I guess there are a lot of details that I'll see from me tawdry ass fucking memoirs <laughs> but will buy um, yes what's amazing about it so i, I identify as uh, a queer and a lesbian specifically because i also date non-binary people um and i think the the the, the word queer is i recently interacted with it as like a noun a verb and an adjective in this random art text and the so the way the word kind of evolves in the text is almost like the experience of queer itself where it becomes possible to mean all of these things and what what queer encapsulates is something beyond all of the binaries <laughs> that we create like the most biggest ugliest grotesque dividing one being gender but um there's there was a passage in it and it was like uh, when you have come out of the closet, you have existed, you are existing as what you once considered impossible. And it really is like that. Like, I'm a fucking butterfly and I used to be a caterpillar and it's insane. Like, life is so magic now and I feel like I'm really actually breathing. In, and it's, like, unbelievable. I can't like the crazy part is too is my brain is well, forming pathways so I, I i had basically gay awakening sex which is <laughs> you know i i really thought i was in love with that person i was like this is my wife my friends were like can you give us more information we think you might be gay <laughs> you know like <laughs> you're really freaking out um and ever since then it's been like galaxy brain experiences of what is possible um and fuck it's awesome like it's really great and it's totally um also changed what i feel like is possible at broad scale because i think when everything can is can be totally radically transformed like that it's like fucking nothing is impossible uh and so <laughs> i really love being gay happy to be here thrilled to be here and feeling very alive uh, which is different than the case before <laughs> That's so great. I had butterflies like for you as you were talking about that, about being a butterfly versus a ca caterpillar. I'm really happy for you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, it was the writing this book has really changed me in a lot of a lot of ways. It was really transformative. And honestly, my I was not pleased with the, the brain that I had <laughs> before. And I've yeah. done I have had to do like a lot of work um, on finding myself and I don't know, being able to basically validate my own self <laughs> and over and over as a muscle that I was able to build up over time. And I mean, it's crazy the way that that shift, there's been a lot of things involved in that shift. Again, Tadrias memoirs, but um, really, really proud to like still be alive. You know, like it was just, it got dark and, and things were hard and, and I put in the work and made them better and there's definitely still dark days like anxiety and depression are for real for real but <laughs> i am just so grateful to be here <laughs> well wait you, we keep dancing around this you need to tell us about this book yeah. it sounds like you have <laughs> cool, you cool. have many in you yeah i read a book there are tadras yeah. memoirs to come <laughs> but what's what's this one this one's a little less tadras this one's less this is specifically, unfortunately, not Tawdry. <laughs> uh, 
I would not deserve a Sadri. I'm like picking it up as if I need to remember what it's about. So, You're like, I don't know. <laughs> what's the first page say? Um, so it begins with my awakening moment. The day after the election, feeling just completely shocked. I mean, it, Trump's election was impossible until it wasn't for me, for so many people. And I just... I don't know. I couldn't believe it. I just was like, we're living in this world that I didn't realize we were living in. I thought that we were going to keep on like trucking along to this like bright rainbow equality future. You know, like Obama was president, like gay people go get married. They were allowed in the military, like cool neoliberal progress. I couldn't care about social justice. I couldn't care about equality, which was my earliest moral. Like, I think I was like, I was like in first grade, you know, like hanging out with like the gay kid in class <laughs> it was like we're archetypes like let's take naps together Bobby you know and then like I was like in on gay rights from the very beginning and just understood equality as the thing but my understanding of politics was as if it was something separate and so I suppose what happened on November 9th is that it clicked and I felt this sense of agency and self-determination and I understood that I had to do something and I had to use the thing I am good at which is writing communicating, making things easier for people to understand and making them precise enough so that they can be communicated and used to organize. That's my skill. And I needed to be able to do that to grapple with what was happening. And in, I thought, surely other people have had something like this experience. And it turns out they had. Uh, and so basically it begins with this call out for young people who have undergone a post-Trump political awakening and they're tapping into the things that they're good at to do something different and asking who makes the rules that define how we participate in politics and doing things on their own terms. So the most stunning example, and I interviewed her two weeks before she went one, still incredibly fucking proud of that fact, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, disrupting the way things are done in terms of running, but also just in terms of the way she is communicating with people, in terms of the way she's communicating with the country, but policy proposals are being dissected on Instagram stories next to makeup tutorials. Like, that is unbelievable. I mean, it's so far beyond. Uh, we are just, we are kept out of the conversation and then told we're not showing up to it. So as I'm, as I'm beginning on this journey, uh, so I actually wrote a book proposal in two days. In two days. Right after the election, it was like, <laughs> it was just whatever was birthed out. It was like 10 ideas and a plan to research and report them and sort of just a big begging ask to have somebody let me be able to pay my rent while focusing on a full in-depth book length view of what the fuck was going on like please let me go figure it out let me go try and figure it out uh let me take my shot at figuring it out and then the sample chapter was the gaslighting piece so then i was working on teen vogue and trump then president-elect contradicted the cia and it was just such an objective display of attempting to deceive the american people and i was like didn't even ask anyone if it was a good idea like I was hoping to sell a book with it and I was just like yeah the people need it now and like just published it and then my entire life changed um and as I just kind of discussed earlier it brought up this question 
how do young women interact with politics? Do young women care about politics? Do young people care about politics? And I sort of became this unofficial spokesperson for that question, which, in case you're wondering, is fucking weird. And, like, there would be all these panels where they were, like, I would be, like, the one young person in a room full of, you know, donors and board members. And they would just be, like, mm, like, one member of the rare exotic species known as the millennial. Like, how do you approach politics? It was really fucking bonkers. And the crazy thing is I still didn't totally understand how that shift had happened for me because I recognized that I had been, like, totally asleep before. And I was plodding along accepting politics as something separate from my life, as something important men get to do that I had no place in that could be considered rude and off limits. And, and like, and in fact, was actually like not polite manners to bring it up. And it's like, oh my God, this is the stuff that infects, affects our daily life. Um, and we need to be a part of it. So the book is a journey of understanding how, how have we been so cut off from understanding a true meaning of citizenship? Um, what does it look like now that we've acquired it? How can we understand the system of power that we have to dismantle with this public power um, and a pathway forward for doing it that understands citizenship as basically the same thing as being a good person? So I had this simplified belief in equality before. I feel like anybody you meet, like, right, like you probably wouldn't ask them, do you believe in equality? I don't know if there's anyone who like, be like no maybe no. <laughs> maybe mitch mcconnell i actually don't know he's like such a fucking full-on villain he might be like no fuck equality but like with rare exception right and i didn't understand fully what it meant and what it looked like in action and what it looks like to live out of a sense of duty to the collective and so i end with and build to this idea that we need to be doing democracy all the goddamn time democracy is not a thing that we have it's a thing that we do and we you think we think of it as this like we barely think of it as this big basic transactional thing of voting, but it needs to be rituals and habits, practices built out of conversation and all kinds of activities that are about participating in the question of how we live together. So like the reality of just is that raising your voice can look so many different ways. It can mean literally contacting your elected officials. It can mean protesting. It can mean organizing in your local area. It can mean running for office yourself or volunteering or just literally having the conversations and doing conversational work. Um, but all of those things, you have to be speaking up. And the thing is, speaking up has to be highly personalized and everyone has to use the things they're good at focused on the things they care about the most. I've tried to create something here that I I hope is like a, a model for how people can do their own version, um, channel their passion and their righteous fucking anger at how fucked everything is right now into believing that we can build something bigger and brighter and better together. Because I think that that truly equal equality rainbow future can exist. That queer future can exist and we all have to participate in it. Please join me in becoming a butterfly together is the basically what the book's about. <laughs> I'm so excited to read it. So the book is called How to Start a Revolution and it comes out September 24th. 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 <laughs> 24th. Um, so this book is really about how to start with activism and mm -hmm. we've talked about this question with a few different people on the podcast because i think it is really daunting to people who have not previously participated in politics but like can you give us a snapshot like where do you start yeah so i would even say too it's important to cl clarify that 
the stigma around activism is such a made up thing. I mean, like I had this like prototype of like someone with armpit hair. I don't really know. <laughs> just it was it's it's just like treated as this otherworldly. I don't know. It's associated with the sixties and grunge and this whole activism is the same thing as citizenship. It's raising your voice. Like everything is just so raising your voice for issues you care about is what it means to participate in a democracy, right? So how do you figure out how you participate? is you figure out what does the world look like around you? How are people living together in the immediate world around you? What are the things that you think could be better? What is the thing that you can't stop talking about to your friends? What is the thing that you think about that interrupts your the flow of your life and make or makes things unfair for others or makes things difficult for you? Uh, what is true? So you pick your issue. You become fully informed understanding what it means, who are all the major power players, who's affected by it, and what are some avenues of change for interacting with that issue, and then you use the things you're best at. So I guess the point is, it's all up to you. You have to pick what you care about and figure out what you're good at. Uh, A specific example is Rebecca is a character in my book. (laughs) <laughs> and a real person. And in on November 9th, she walked around New York and everyone was crying. And she was crying too. And she didn't really know what to do. She wanted something to do and she was looking to Planned Parenthood. She was looking to ACLU and she thought, hmm, maybe they've got some marching orders. They were scrambling too. This was impossible for a lot of people. Rebecca invited some friends over just thinking, I don't know, like maybe it will kind of be like sitting Shiva (laughs) and people came over and it turned out that Rebecca is, was the most political of her friend groups and her person in her friend group. She had done some volunteering, some organizing and lightly expressed opinions on social media and all her friends were looking at her and saying, Rebecca, what do we do? And she said, okay. Something specific that we can affect real change on. And she had recently heard that the abortion law in New York State uh, was criminal under state law. So New York legalized abortion before Roe was passed. And on the books up until this legislative session in the New York State Assembly, abortion was actually in the state criminal code. And she had... That was enforced by Democrats cooperating with Republicans in this group called the IDC. This is all a wonky explanation of Rebecca saw that her friends were shocked at the reality they were living in. And they thought, you know, New York was a progressive haven. Like people were walking through New York crying. I mean, it was like we were like all like mourning something together. I don't know if you were around, (laughs) but like. Yes. So that's the kind of place that is horrified by Trump winning. But like, hold on, what can we change at home? What can we change in our state legislature? Like, what does that look like? And so Rebecca started a group called Rally and Rise, specifically aimed at young women. Like this awesome website that had, you know, funky, bright colored design, like a a, Forever 21, like enamel pin. It was just so cute and perfectly the aesthetic. You you can envision it. And she on there broke down the issue, organized meetups, was spreading awareness of this issue and figuring out how to create support to change it. That inspired Alessandra Biaggi, who ran as an insurgent candidate to get the seat and be one of the members of the state legislature that has now repealed the Reproductive Health Act. I mean, 
it's just there's so many stories like that where it's such a specific thing. It's like that's not related to Trump. That was a problem before Trump. I mean, the, I mentioned the woman, um, Kat Calvin, who started spread the vote. She was she was she had done organizing before. She was a law student. She was sort of just thought this voting rights issue. Surely, like Democrats will fix it. And with the election, she said, no, I will fix it. I'm a lawyer. I have this background. I understand how to organize. I can put it into action. She starts this group called Spread the Vote and is delving into getting people the IDs that they need to get registered, the people who are kept out of public life. And basically, there there's an example of, uh, do you know that you need an ID to get into a food bank? So she actually, she ended up once she rolled up her sleeves, exposing the way that there are, there's almost like an underclass that is considered something less than citizens. Like she had to raise $600 or to get an ID for a man who had been fined for sleeping on a park bench while homeless. And that's now the the mission of her life. And it could completely change everything. I, I, the way she put it to me was the world was on fire. So I had to do something. Um, and I think that you have to make that choice to do something. You have something you're super good at. You have a, super, a, a set of skills. What What is the thing that you can't shut up about? One plus the other equals something that begins to look like your democratic ritual and it can build and change over time. And it's just also there are little ways, right? So if you don't want to have a trans, if you don't want to have a transformational change in your life, you could also uh, be, oh, keep abreast with local issues, contact your elected officials, uh, do less research and less transformative change of looking up related organizations and donating to them. Those are ways of organizing your voice, Um, getting informed on particular issues and then being sure to inform your friends with accurate information. This is also like a big thing that I would recommend for everybody is we should all kind of behave like journalists. Uh, We're all participating in this information economy. And I feel like there's this idea of like, well, journalists will figure it out and journalists will tell us the truth. It's like journalists are humans who are using a tool for objectivity of method to find consensus around truth, but we could all be critical thinkers and double checking the things we share and reading multiple sources. Um, you know, I feel I, I feel confident everyone listening has a brain and I would urge you to use the brain to use Google. It really is like that. It's that simple. Like, I feel like I felt like I didn't have a right to even be reading about politics before, like, or I would read it and it would feel like I was reading something about a club I wasn't invited to basically. And so I just shut it out. And now I trust that if I have enough information, then I am able to have an opinion. And I think that the only thing that you need to form a political opinion is to be fully informed. So, you know, the three essential steps are get informed, decide your stance and make a plan of action. But I think it looks all different ways depending on who you are and what you care about and what you do best. I love that. It's really good. I love that it's start where you are and you don't need to change everything, you know, it's it's approachable (laughs) and focusing on what what you're good at not trying to be like somebody else yeah Mm -hmm. wait let's talk more about you (laughs) yeah so you're not even 30 you've accomplished so much you just birthed this book baby (laughs) came out that was a weird analogy can you tell us what is next for you we heard you're teaching a class at nyu There's some rumors that you're working with MTV. Like, what's going on? Oh, no. Ew, MTV is gross. Um, but oh, okay. <laughs> rumor, rumor quashed. I am teaching at NYU, and it is such a gift. Like, what actually, are you teaching? Can I tell you, I wish that I could just take them all into Washington Square Park and, like, have them quit the class and donate all their money to Planned Parenthood. But anyway, thus the structure of higher learning has provided this particular pathway for me connecting with young minds. It's cool. It's called The Feminist Journalist. 
And it is about building your set of ethics so that you can confidently explore what is possible with truthful storytelling. And so basically it's built on internalizing the purpose of journalism, which is to empower people with information. Uh, to that end, we it is incumbent upon us to have our first and foremost obligation be to the public and in ensuring that the public is informed so that they may participate as citizens. It's required of us also to make the significant interesting, which is a very fancy and smart way of saying like it shouldn't be fucking boring and it should be entertaining and it should include the stuff we love and the stuff that excites us and what does that look like and what's possible and how can journalism be art and how can journalism be used explicitly as something looking more like activism as long as we are not attempting to deceive people as long as we're operating from a place of truth and transparency of information um, and working to empower people with that information. How can we explore? What can that look like? Uh, and also thinking about this will be interesting to you. The, the sort of rise of the influencer in tandem with the need for journalistic ethics and how can we create a culture in which the people with the people in the public at large understand the necessity of journalistic ethics, understand that journalists are working to empower people with information, share things as journalists led by um, the leaders of the conversation and the people who have a big stake in the conversation being very clear that they're sharing things that are true and not working to manipulate. And um, even if it's sharing their personal perspective and their opinions, making sure that they're grounded in a place of fact and distinguishing between facts and analysis in a way that is clear and honest. And it's really not that hard. I, I just think it's it's very scary, right? Like the, there's so much information and it can be overwhelming. Um, and I guess I would say that's okay if you feel overwhelmed. I would say I feel fucking overwhelmed sometimes. And I have allocated time to sit with my iced coffee on my comfy couch and read the New York Times in print. And I still get overwhelmed. And I think that um, it's it's okay, just go taper it down, make a commitment, figure out what works for you. So I read the times in print because I feel like that gets into my brain a little better. Maybe it means on the subway you flip through a specific couple sites or you get a couple newsletters. I would encourage you to engage with a number of different sources. Um, what are your favorite newsletters? We always love those recommendations. Oh, I actually don't think there are any that are adequate and want to make my own for oh, political stuff. Okay. But uh, there's, it's a good place to, okay, how about this? It's all a good place to start. Like I use Twitter. Yes. Twitter is probably my newsletter. Yeah. You know, Twitter is an endless screaming newsletter um, because I'll use Twitter like a newsletter and then go use it as a starting place and then build from there and like read from following that chain. But I think that it's like it, you, you absolutely do not need to be well-versed in the endless stream of crises and scandals to the point where you could take a test on them. How do you get a, how can you get yourself a grapple on the landscape and then become an expert in specifically the thing you care about? I think that that's a good way to feel a little more grounded and like totally confirmed chaos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you're working on that you want to share? Well, honestly, right now I'm working on figuring out how to tell the world about this book and I would love your help. <laughs> like 
That's yeah, what we're here it, for. That's yeah. what we're here for. Well, our next <laughs> question is you get your own desperation minute where we want you to tell our listeners what they can do for you, where they can follow you, where they can find you. Yes, people can. Hi. Please read my book. Uh, pre-orders make a really big difference. And um, share it with people if you believe in it. I fucking believe in it. I think that this has a ton of potential in this moment. There is just... And there is an awakening happening among young people. And if we can be armed with the tools of what it means to participate in our democracy, there is an unprecedented opportunity to actually have democracy for real. So if you, if that resonates with you at all, (laughs) it's called How to Start a Revolution. Please pre-order copy when it comes out. Share it with your friends and family and take Instagrams with it on like a pool float or something. I would appreciate that. And I'm at Lauren Duca on Twitter and the reverse of that at Duca Lauren on Instagram. (laughs) Thank you so much for talking with us today. I feel like we both like learned a lot and I think like you had so much inspiring, actionable advice for people. (laughs) Cool. We're ready to start a revolution. Yes. Thank you for a revolution. (laughs) All right. I'm going to cut it there. Lauren's great. I'm excited to read this book. Yes, me too. I need to get on it so that we can share our copy. Yeah. Yeah, I will. Give it to me. I will. But maybe we should talk about some other obsessions. Yes, let's do it. What are you obsessed with? So right now I am obsessed with something that came while I was on vacation and I opened up the box immediately when I got home. It's called their Instant Glow Exfoliator. And what I like about it is that it exfoliates your face two ways. So it has like really, really fine granules that um, do the whole microdermabrasion, but then it also chemically exfoliates. And because it's a goop product, it's all clean. So I, you know, I can trust it and know that it's safe, et cetera. But I love it. I used it last night and it left my skin so soft, so glowy and not red at all. I have, like, I can be a little bit sensitive with scrubs and I'll like look red for like an hour afterwards and I wasn't red at all. So I really like this product. I think it's a great, like, I love all of her skincare. I think that all of the products are really, really good, but this is one of the best ones. Ooh. Yeah. So on my side, I, so I've talked about this before. I am historically not a great packer. I have packing anxiety. I always bring the wrong things. I overpack. Not a great packer. Mm. So I was going on this trip for 12 days and I was going to basically three different climates because Vegas was over 100 degrees. Then when I was out in the East Bay, it was like in the 80s and 90s. And then in one country, it was actually pretty chilly at night. Like it was in the 50s. So just like three different sets of clothing, three different events too. Oof. I don't know how you got all of that in. Well, so I used my packing cubes, which I I do not use every time I travel, but I bought them last year when we were supposed to go to Asia, but just you went. And um I just bought them on Amazon. They're cheap. They were they're nothing special. But um it made such a difference. Did it? Because I have packing cubes and I was really into them for like two trips and I was like, eh, I don't care about well, these. Well, so it made a difference in two ways. So first, I do think that it helped me to um, pack more. But mm-hmm. the other thing is that it kept me organized because otherwise I would have just ripped my suitcase apart every time I got somewhere new. So I put my wedding clothes in one cube. I put swimsuit and like 
cover up stuff in another cube. I put gym clothes in a cube. I put pajamas in a cube. And then I just had dresses loose packed in the suitcase. So the things that I some of the things were better organized, so I didn't need to like rip through my suitcase every time I needed something. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that being a Because I didn't unpack anywhere I went. Oh, see, I wasn't I also, anywhere long enough. I'm a psychopath. I unpack for even like a two-day trip. Oh, no. I didn't unpack. So I just like lived out of the suitcase. Okay. That makes sense. Kind of like having drawers in your suitcase almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It made a big difference. I like that. I also packed. I was very proud of myself. My suitcase was 49 pounds. Ooh. One pound under the limit. Yeah. I made it. Good work. So, what happens if you go to 50? Do you just get charged? You have to pay. Yeah. Yeah. They charge you for everything. I know. What about on Instagram? So, mine is Garupo. It's G A R R U P P O. So, it's Garupo with two R's and two P's. This is a photographer that my sister introduced me to. Her name is Genevieve Garupo, and she is just super talented and has. Like, I love anything home on my Instagram, and she photographs some really, really beautiful homes. So I'm really enjoying following her. It's all just really beautiful stuff, and I'm constantly like, why doesn't my apartment look like that? Oh, I'm going to need to get on this. What about you? Um, So we've talked about her on the podcast before, but do you follow Samantha Irby on Instagram? No, but I'm looking at this because I did not like her handle. I was like, that looks like a knockoff. So her handle is bitches gotta eat. And I was like, that feels offensive to girls gotta eat who are our friends. I mean, I like Samantha Irby too, so. Yeah. Well, now I understand. I thought it was like gonna be something competitive. Oh, no. So Samantha Irby is an author and yeah, she's, she's a TV writer and she's so funny. And her grid is fine, but she really excels at stories. It's like a mix of memes and music and her cat and. Uh, it's very funny. It's Ooh. like very good. I'm going to follow. Yeah, I I love her like humor and her writing, but I wasn't following her on Instagram until yeah, last I've, week. I've, I've always liked her writing. I just didn't. Yeah, her. I saw somebody else tag her and then I was like, oh, this is Samantha Irby. Like, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. What about books? It looks like you I've, I've got a lot did to a say. lot of reading. Got a lot to say. So I finished My Friend Anna, which we've talked about countless times here. That is the memoir by Anna Delvey's friend Rachel um, and, like, everything that she goes through. It's crazy. It's stranger than fiction. Where'd you net out on that? I liked it. I didn't feel like it was that well written, but I liked it. I, I just liked getting extra intel. Oh, yeah. Because I'm just fascinated by Anna. Oh, yeah. But I felt like it dragged at times. And like, I will read, watch, listen to anything having to do with Anna Delvey. Same. But it wasn't – I think I, like, just hyped it up so much in my head. Like, and you had it before me, and I was like, I want that. So it was good. It wasn't, like, great. Okay. It was just – I just wanted to get to the information. Okay. Um. Then I read the new Ruth Ware book, which is called The Turn of the Key. I think it's a book of the month pick, and I think it just came out. But that was great. The ending – if you guys are – if you guys read this, can we talk about it in the Facebook group about how it ended? Because – I felt like the ending was a little bit of a cop-out. It was a thriller. It was great. I really enjoyed it. I don't want to, like, give anything away, but I felt that the ending was a cop-out. So if you read it and felt like that, too, let's go talk about it in the Facebook group. Then I – oh, my God. I am in so deep. 
on this series, which several of you recommended to me back when I was reading the selection and I ordered it back then, but then I like never wanted to read it. And then with everything that was going on with Tyrion, I was just like, I just want to read something, some trash. So I picked up, I have these, it's four books. It's called The Lux. It's basically Gossip Girl in 1899. It's not particularly well written. It's kind of terrible. It's so fun. So I kind of slogged through the first, like, 30% of the first book. But then it picks up, and the second and third book get really good. And I heard the fourth book is, like, devastating. Oh, interesting, because I downloaded the sample of this book on my Kindle when everyone was suggesting to it suggesting it to us when we first started the podcast and I read the sample and I was like "Mm, not for me well that's how I felt the first like 20 or 30 percent of the book and I was like I'm just not into this like I don't know like the way that it's written is kind of strange and then it starts out every episode with like a news clipping and uh, not every episode every chapter with a news clipping and I was kind of getting annoyed at it but I powered through and like people were blowing my dms up about this book like everyone a lot of you read it when you were in high school which was 2008 which made me feel old but um it's great where do you put this on the spectrum of YA books? Um, is it, it like as good as the selection? Honestly, it's at the bottom. But the selection and Paper Princess trilogies, just nothing will compare. Okay. But this is good. It's, it's good. It's scratching that itch is what yeah. I would say. Okay. Like I, I haven't found anything like either of those trilogies. Well, they don't – there isn't like a great YA series that yeah. comes out every year. Yeah. It's not I feel a, like it's, you know, once in a – we had the Thousandth Floor Trilogy. Well, now we have the American Royals Trilogy. Oh, it's so good. It's not as good as any of those, but it's it's scratching the itch and it's fun. Okay. And I like cannot wait to tonight when I finish, rec- I'm recording with Kate Kennedy after this, to just sit down and, and read for a couple hours. Okay. Um. So on my end, I read this book called Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton. And I it was getting a lot of critical acclaim a lot of buzz it's australian and i think i bought it because i really liked the cover if i'm being honest yeah has like a tie-dye paint splatter jackson pollock cover Mm -hmm. and i started it on a plane and i'm actually really grateful that i did because i hated the first 50 pages i was like what is happening it is kind of like a version of augustin burroughs running with scissors like it's like a weird childhood book Interesting. And it's about this boy in the 80s in Australia. And I like the cover. His mom is in jail and his uh, stepfather is a drug dealer. And his best friend is this 70 year old convicted felon who like is babysitting for him. And his brother is mute. And it's just this like very bizarre book that is told kind of in a stream of conscience. But it was really delightful. It was really quirky and weird and fun. I ended up loving it. Hey, do you want to know what Amazon suggests that you buy if you read this book? What? Where the Crawdads Sing. No. Don't, didn't like that book. Liked this book a lot. It was really fun. But I did, like when I started it, my initial reaction was like, uh, and I probably, I don't know that I would have stuck with it if I hadn't been on a plane. But it did get good. It got really good. So overall, like, I would put this at, like, four and a half stars for me. Mm -hmm. Really good. Yeah. So that's what I got. 
So that's what we have for you. That's our episode. But a reminder, buy tickets to our shows if you live in San Francisco, D.C., Philly, Atlanta, Atlanta, or, or Dallas. Dallas. I got to get good at this. And we got to get the New York one figured out. Yeah. We'll be announcing that soon. And in the meantime, make sure you're following Bad on Paper on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. We're getting close to 10,000. We're getting close to that swipe up. That's awesome. And you can follow me on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And you can follow me at Grace Atwood. And we'll see you next week with a guest that has been one of our most demanded guests. Oh, my God. The amount of questions that you guys had for her, I was shook. Make sure you tune in next week so you can see who it is. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.